Like, do we mean what we sing? Take my life. Go ahead, take it all. Do we mean that? That's what we want to be about. If you want to follow along with us this morning, uh, raise your hand to borrow a Bible. We like to study the Word of God here on Sunday morning. And if you want to borrow a Bible, you can bring one. Just raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. And you just leave it on the pew when you're done. For you graduate students, I really hope that you will be able to come to this luncheon. If you have a husband or a wife or kids, just go ahead and bring them on over there as well. It'll be a good time to hang out at Pop Ellie's. I realize on Sunday mornings there's a lot of you who are new, popping in, popping out, visitors. Just to let you know, we, we go through books of the Bible here on Sunday morning, and right now we're going through the book of Proverbs. book of Proverbs is a very difficult book to go through and to study. Uh, so we're kind of doing this, this back and forth where we're, the first nine chapters are the introduction. So we'll preach that in a verse-by-verse sequential manner, but we'll also pop around with, with chapters 10 through 31, and we'll take those isolated verses and create a topic like we did last week, we looked at the topic of friendship, and this week we're going to look at the, actually the opposite, the contrast of friendship and running with the wrong crowd, and that shows up in the first nine chapters. Let's go ahead and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. It's going to be in verses 8 through 19, where we're going to see that this warning about being enticed to pursue unjust gain and running with the wrong crowd. So if we're in Proverbs 1, let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to read it. Proverbs 1, we're going to start with verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your feet from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood, for in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You may be seated. Now, what do you do with a passage like that? The passage basically warns against joining a gang. Did you have that temptation this week of joining a gang? I mean, in reality, there are some parts of Chicago that this passage would just have this great literal transition as there is a lot of gang violence in Chicago. In fact, the murder rate is shot up like crazy this year due in part to gang violence. So this would be a great passage to use and preaching for those who are maybe tempted to join a gang, literally. But what we're going to see, though this temptation to join a gang might not be your issue, this passage has great relevance because from time to time, listen to me, from time to time, you and I both are vulnerable to being enticed by others to pursue dishonest gain. Like, if I could just put it straight up with you, there are gangs trying to recruit you all the time. 
And when we're talking about dishonest gain or unjust gain, we don't just mean finances. There are a variety of ways that people will try to entice you, work along with your selfish desires to join them to pursue unjust gain. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I don't know if any of you follow basketball at all. Perhaps some of you do. Perhaps some of you can't stand the sport. But this past spring, NCAA March Madness Tournament. Maybe you're familiar with that. It's a tournament, basketball. Um, in the men's uh, tournament, there was a school named Harvard. Perhaps you've heard of it. Many of you probably tried to get in there. Maybe Northwestern was your second best. Who knows? But Harvard. Harvard, you know, really smart, brainiac. Well, they actually made the men's basketball tournament for the first time in, I think, about 66 years. And so everybody's all excited. They're all pumped up. We're like, wow, there's school spirit like crazy. You're like, wow, we're not just smart. We're actually good at athletics too. And it's like, it's a big deal for Harvard. But then a few weeks ago, it was, came out in the papers that the co-captains of the basketball team were implicated in a widespread academic cheating scandal that absolutely rocked the campus. Apparently what happened uh, as this, they, these groups of students collaborated together to gain an unfair advantage by academically cheating on, on uh, some type of test. I mean, can you imagine being at, at Harvard, this top-notch school where you, you feel this pressure to study, and if you're an athlete, you have this double pressure where you have to... You have to be awesome at sports. And so what do you do? You, you want to gain some type of advantage or edge. And so here comes an offer. Hey, we, we can get the results of this test. We can collaborate together and we can pull it off. Are, are you in? And you're like, oh, oh, sure. And then you gain this unfair and advantage for all those other students who have to do that, that study and actually do the athletes and no cheating. So they gain the edge and advantage. And hey, they made the tournament. Everybody was excited. All's well. Then they got busted. Everything came crashing down, and many of those students are not even in school anymore. What we're going to see is that there are these small ways that we can be enticed to join the gang. Because so many of us in our hearts, we want this edge. We want this little advantage over others because we see that some people are so equal to us, and there's only way that we can get ahead is to seek something that puts us over just a little bit. And a lot of times, it's not fair. It's illegal. It's unjust. It's unethical. It's it's not biblical. And yet these voices keep on crying out to us to seek the edge. And if we are not careful, our hearts will go there. And many times it just ends in destruction. So the passage about joining a gang is very relevant. Well, I kind of want to get you organized because when you look at passages like this, you, you kinda, your, your mind's kind of all over the place. So let me just give you a structure of where we're going this morning. It's not very fancy. It's just the structure of the actual passage. I'll put it up for you. It's verse 8. If you'll see verse 8, we're going to look at the exhortation. Verse 9, we're going to look at the motivation. The main lesson is going to be in 10 through 18, and the moral point is going to come at verse 19. Are you ready? Let's do it. Exhortation. Look at verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So here we have this mom and dad. They're depicted as teaching their son. And, and as we go through the book, you'll see the dad has the, this predominant role of, of teaching his young son. And obviously, this teaching is broadened out to include all of God's people as the book is addressing us. But as we go through Proverbs, I want you to see yourself as the young son, 
being addressed by your Father, your Father in heaven. And these are his words to you from the word of God. And what we have here is this young man is said, you see it there in verse 8, to hear the instruction and forsake not the teaching, which means that you're going to do more than just take it in. You're going to do more than what may what you do, let's say, in a, in a class you're taking at a school. You just kind of want to hear it and just memorize it for the test. And this is the idea of like, hey, you take it in and you be prepared to do it. In fact, we want you to do it so much that you must not forsake the teaching of God's word. That you're supposed to grab it, hold on to it, obey it by God's grace, and not drift. This is what happens. Many students, and many people in general, but there's this great um, um, stats that come out. And it seems like there's these stats that come out every year that when college students go off to school, and if they're, they're so-called Christians, many of them abandon their faith in Jesus. They get to school, and they get all wild, and they say, forget Jesus, and they leave the, the faith of their parents or their faith of their youth behind. They, they forsake it. And that's what the, the statistical experts say, is that a significant number of you are going to bail on Jesus. And I thought to myself, well, let's just do some stats here this morning. And I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand how many of you plan to bail on Jesus because this is not a good place for you to say that or admit that. But I, I want to do a little, little game here with you. Last week, we had a, a college student luncheon. And I'm not going to embarrass anybody here either. But we took, like, tons of pictures of the college students at this luncheon. I'm not going to show your picture. Here they are. Okay. So we have your picture here. And the reason why I have your picture is because I want to know your name, I want to pray for you. I want to get to know who you are. But statistically speaking, like let's just say, I don't know how this, let's say 20% of you are going to fall away from Jesus. That's about 20%. So you guys are going to fall away from Jesus. Well, let's just say, some people say, say 50. So about, 50, about half of you will fall away from Jesus in your college years. But I'm not even concerned about the 20 and the 50. I mean, I get more concerned about one person. I'm looking at a guy right now, and I can tell you who. Is he going to fall away from Jesus? And there's lots of girls in here, too. It gets more personal when you just throw the stats aside. We're talking about real people. Are you going to hold on to the Word of God? Are you going to continue to follow Jesus? I don't care your age. Or will you be one of those statistics that just drifts away and forsakes the gospel you've held so dear? That is why the word comes across so strongly. It gives you this exhortation to not forsake the teaching. But it also gives you a motivation. I'm about to motivate you to follow the Lord. And you know what your reward is going to be? Your reward is going to be jewelry. Look at verse 9. Jewelry. Everybody always wants jewelry. Here we go. Verse 9. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, a garland would be this uh, attractive honor worn on the head. Now, if you're a girl here, I don't know if you wear these anymore, but you know the concept of princess tiaras? Like, 
None of you warm here today, but think about that honor, how attractive that would be. Or if you're like um, playing in the Super Bowl and you win the Super Bowl and you put on a Super Bowl hat, like, yeah, I'm the champion. That's awesome. It's attractive. And then it, then it talks about these pendants for your, your neck. And so just think about marks of prestige, like wearing these Olympic gold medals. Say you won like nine or ten of them, and you just wear them around your neck and show how, how honorable and attractive that is. And, it, and the concept here is not that you get actual crowns or you get actual necklaces. The point is that you're wearing wisdom on your head. You're wearing instruction around your neck. You are walking in, with the Lord in such a way that is attractive that people will say, wow, you are really different than the other people I know. I'm attracted to you. What's going on? I, I want some wisdom. There's something about your life that just draws me to you. That's what it's talking about. That's the motivation. That if you follow the Lord, you will be this wise one who is attractive to others. And they will seek you out for wisdom. Now we're going to move into the main lesson. We have the exhortation, the motivation, and now imagine a father talking to his young son. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So the imagery is a gang approaches this young man, and these gang members want to draw him in and and entice him. And and gangs obviously are as real today as they were back then. Many of you will face the the gang-like peer pressure, whether you're in junior high, elementary school, high school, college, and on the rest of your life. There's this pressure to join this gang-like atmosphere. And in this context, the young man's being enticed with an offer of camaraderie of this life of adventure, of basically come with us as we jump someone and we get some quick cash. So come on along with this life of adventure. We'll all be joining in together. It's going to be a lot of fun. And the dad says, do not consent. Now, this dad, I, I, this is the, like if, if I, I'm a dad right now and I, I want to be like this dad. Okay, let me tell you why. This dad is a smart dad. Too many times when Christian dads raise our kids, our kids think that we do not know anything about the world. Like we just say stuff like, hey, don't say that word. Hey, quit looking at that. Hey, don't. And and our kids think that we know nothing in the world. And then we're just ignorant. We just say, don't, don't, don't. But this dad says, you know what, son? I know about the world. And I know what it offers And I'm going to tell you to stay away. And so what this dad does, he's so smart, he starts to act like a gangster. Isn't that awesome? He's like, let me just show you how it's going to work. I'm going to just pretend I'm a gangster. Now watch what he says. This is awesome. This is a great dad. Verse 11. If they say, now I don't know what a gangster voice would sound like, but come with us. Let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. So the dad's saying, man, there's these dudes they are going to come up to you. They're going to say, come on, come with us. Let's get some quick cash. Let's go and take this innocent person out. And it, and it almost sounds like a drive-by shooting, but not for revenge, just a drive-by shooting for fun because they're going to take out the innocent person, the innocent person that has not done anything to them. They want to take him out and take his stuff. And so the dad or the gangster continues, verse 12. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. 
like, that's not a word you use much, Sheol. Sheol is the term meaning grave. And, you know, the grave would swallow up dead people. These, these gangsters are saying, let's swallow these people, the innocent, alive, and bring them down into the grave. It's a really scary imagery about taking out the innocent. It happens all the time in Chicago and around the world where the innocent are just taken out and their blood is spilled and they are killed. And the motive is unjust gain. Look at verse 13. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder, cash, and goods. It's dirty money. He says, come on with us. We'll give you a cut. Verse 14. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. Come on, man. Join us. It's going to be fun. It's going to be adventure. We're going to jump this dude, and we're going to get all this money. Come and join us. And the verse in the Bible rings true from 1 Timothy 6.10. Here's a great New Testament verse. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And here we have some pretty serious evil. Now check this out. Ambushing the innocent is a continual reoccurring act that happens even in our world today. And I'm telling you, you may not think so, but I guarantee you, many of you will be called to participate. There are Christians in America and even Christians from our church. I've had interactions with them as they are at their workplace. They've been called upon by their employers or by fellow employees to rework data and rework some figures that would benefit the company, benefit themselves, and rip off the innocent client. That that really does happen. It's a real and serious situation. And when you find yourself in that job, that job that maybe you worked for for your whole life, you got a serious degree, you have the experience, and you find yourself in the dream of your job, and you're flourishing, and then your employer or fellow employee comes by and says, hey, will you rework these figures? Just, just rework them a little bit. And you know what? You'll even get a bonus. It will come out ahead for you. I want you to decide now, before you get into that spot, what you're going to do now. Don't wait, like, um, no, for real, make, make a decision right now. That when that happens, don't be surprised when it does. When it happens, you're not going to do it. You're going to walk with integrity. You're going to walk with the Lord. You're not going to rework the figures for the benefit of your company or yourself that defrauds someone else. You won't do it. Now the father drops the gangster voice. And he's back to instructing his kid. Look at verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. This idea of the path is going to come up over and over again. In Proverbs, we're going to have the path of wisdom or the path of foolishness. And are you going to walk in the path of wisdom or foolishness? And the father is saying, look what he says. He says, hold back your foot. Verse 15, hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet 
run to evil. I, mean, I, I love the parents here. They are not like postmodern parents. Maybe some of you are raised by postmodern parents or you're jumping in on some postmodern parenting that basically says to your kids, you know what, whatever makes you happy, you can go ahead and go hang out with those friends if that's what makes you happy. No, no postmodern parenting. These parents are like here, do not hang out with them. Absolutely not. Do not even take your foot and stick it on their path. Do not even try to dabble in their ways. Don't even... Test out the world. Don't even think about it. Just stay away. Stay far away. When I was thinking about these parents exhorting their children, it made me think of the, the Amish idea of rumspringa. Now, there's a popular cultural way to understand rumspringa, but the Amish way of the understanding rumspringa is that period basically between 14 and 16 where the teenagers are just coming of age, kind of rebellious, and they have to decide when they hit 16 whether they're going to be baptized and be a part of the Amish way of life you know, for the rest of their days. And so they kind of have this, 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 this time of teenager time that they go through. But the popular cultural idea of rumspring is what we often see on TV or hear about in the media where some of these Amish teenage kids go crazy. And they, 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 they go crazy, and they start doing drugs, and they start getting drunk, and they're living lives of, of sexual immorality, and they're saying, oh, wow, I'm testing out the world, and I'm trying to decide whether I want to go back and, and be a part of the Amish way of life. And this father here is saying, son, don't even test it out. Don't even put your foot on that path. Don't even go there. Basically, the father is telling his son, son, I want you to have a boring testimony. You need to have the most boring testimony ever. You do not need to have this testimony that says, I was strung out on drugs, and then I came to Jesus. Or I was running with the wrong crowd, and then I started following Jesus. You need to have the worst testimony. Like the, the people who give a testimony are like, man, that is so boring. That's great. I want all my kids to have boring testimonies. I want them to know that they are sinners and be broken over their sin, but I don't want it to go on and on, elaborate, all this worldliness of testing it out before finally following Jesus. Do not even set your foot on that path. Do not even dabble. Do not even test it. Stay away. Verse 17. I really like these two verses. These are kind of fun. Verse 17. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Now, this is great imagery. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't have any pictures for this, but this is way too cool. The concept's like this little bird. He's flying along. He's hopping along. And, and this bird, <laughs> this bird, he sees some bait, some food in the middle of the net. And that bird's like, I see that over there. <laughs> and that bird's like, I'm not going to go in the middle of that net and grab that food because that's going to get me and I'm going to get killed. So this bird's really smart. And so the verse says, in vain, the net is spread. In vain, because the bird, somehow it's a smart bird. It knows not to go in that net. But this thug, this gangster, this foolish man, he's not as smart as a bird. He sees the bait. He sees the goods. He wants to go and get some dishonest gains. So he jumps right in the middle of the net. The net swallows him up. 
and it takes his life. This is another way of saying that his sin turned back upon him. That is another way of saying that God judged him. There used to be this Johnny Cash song called, God's Gonna Cut You Down. I'd sing it for you, but let me just show you the words. This is a great song. He says, you can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. And that's what this verse is saying here. You will be judged. It will turn back upon you. It may happen in this earth. Maybe you'll get caught and go to jail. Maybe you'll lose your job. There's probably going to be consequences for pursuing this dishonest gain. But if it continues on the rest of your life and this world never, in a sense, catches you, there will be ultimate judgment. And now we have the moral point of this story in verse 19. 19. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So the end result of those who are greedy for unjust gain is destruction. Did you catch it here? It's suicidal. Because it takes away the life of its possessors. Jesus made some comments like this. He said, whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword. In the book of Galatians, Galatians 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, that will he also reap. You think we're going to get away with this stuff, right? We think we're going to get the edge, we're going to get the advantage, we're going to get the unjust gain, and we'll be in the clear. No, no, there's going to be a a sowing for what you have reaped. For the Christian, by God's grace, we receive forgiveness. But if we refuse to repent, don't be surprised that that stuff's going to come up eventually. Well, they're going to be busted. So it's always better to out yourself than let someone else out you. And so if you find yourself where you've been in these schemes, whatever they are, it's best to repent and receive forgiveness and out yourself rather than getting busted later on. But the contrast is we want to be those who walk in the paths of righteousness. Like this proverb says in Proverbs twenty-eight sixteen, it says, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. We've got to hate unjust gain so that we can live our lives out conscious free before the Lord. And let me give you this imagery from Jesus. This is so cool. Now check this out. Jesus also spoke about these two ways to live. Even one way of unjust gain leading to death or the other way of righteous leading to eternal life. Let me put this up for you. There's two ways to live. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. Jesus says this. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. I'm going to tell you something you may not believe. This may be hard for you to accept, and I don't mean to be harsh on anybody, but I just want to say that most of the people, we're not being arrogant, we're not being judgmental by saying this, but most of the people on this earth according to Jesus, are on the wide road to destruction. We are not being judgmental. 
We're not being arrogant. We're not being proud. Jesus says most of the people on this earth are on the wide road to destruction. That means that most of the people that you interact with, often on a daily basis, will operate sometimes from a very different mindset than you. And so that means it will seem normal in the dealings and the relationships and the happenings and the circumstances of this world that normal things that happens within the world that will conflict with the Christian. There's going to be a lot of things going down that you should be uneasy with, that should make you uncomfortable. And it, and it, and it often will be like a normal occurrence that people are going to be pursuing dishonest gain at the expense of others, and it will seem acceptable to those in the world, but it will hurt others so they can get ahead. And the Christian, if you're not careful, you will fall for it. So let me give you some scenarios. Check it out. Here's some scenarios. And it can seem so innocent. I know most of you women in here are probably in your 20s and below. But for those women in here who are older, you know this experience. Women in their 30s and 40s and 50s, maybe on up, sometimes, not all the time, I'm not dogging all women, and I'm certainly not dogging any women in here. I hope not. Maybe I am. But women that are older sometimes act like junior high girls. It just happens. So you can have grown women on the playground with their kids conspiring together not to include another mom and her kid. Maybe she's weird. Maybe she's going to disrupt their peace. Maybe whatever the reason. And so this gang of moms on the playground can conspire together to hatch a plan to not invite that woman's kid to the birthday parties. Yeah. Now, the thing is, is that when you're 30s and you're 40s and you experience this for the first time, will you join in? Will you join into this junior high fun or not? And let's, let's kind of broaden it out a little bit. Let's, let's take, um, for those of you who own condos, a lot of you own condos. There's often an association that's together. And sometimes these associations will band together to try to push out a certain neighbor who is uh, weird or odd or disturbing. And you catch a plan, push them out, get them out of there so that your property will have some peace, will increase in value. Will you participate? Will you join in on these unethical coups? And they happen all the time. And maybe you have some friends to take it a different direction, some friends that are really great at computers. And I know some of you, I know nothing about computers, but I have a problem. I can go to most of you. You can fix it. But maybe you have some friends that are really good at computers, that are so good, they have figured out how to manipulate information, hack certain computers, acquire information illegally, uh, songs. And the question is, do you join them and say, I, I want some of that. Everybody else is doing it. Give me some of that. It's not going to cost too much. I'm not defrauding too many people. And then finally, we come to the most innocent group of all, the church, because no problems ever happen in churches. But at times in churches, you can have a contentious group, or I like to call them a contentious gang <laughs> that tries to lure in other people to undermine the leadership. 
Will you join in? And the ultimate question is this. Here's the question. Are you being more influenced by the gangs on the path of destruction, or are you being more influenced by Jesus on the path of eternal life? That, I think, is the question you need to ask yourself. Who's influencing you? The gangs to destruction or Jesus on the path of eternal life? Who's influencing you? And for those of you who think that I'm taking this high position of being this guy who's being very judgmental and I've never participated in any of this gang-like stuff, you are wrong. Because the reality is, those of us who are Christians in here, all of us before we became Christians, whether you want to admit to it or not, there was some gang-like affiliation where you would try to seek out unjust gain from other people. Whether you were doing it when you were young or when you are in high school, when you are an adult, there's ways that you were trying to seek an edge, an advantage over others that was wrong and that was sinful. And because the reality is, is that we're these rebellious sinners. We have this heart within us that is bent on rebellion against God and our sin. And we... We're on that path of destruction of sure judgment. But check this out. This is the coolest thing ever. God saw us, and he intervened. He intervened in the lives of rebellious sinners, thugs like us. And get this. Check it out. He sent his son, Jesus. And when Jesus was on the cross... He was considered a thug, a gangster, a rebellious sinner in your place. And you know who put him there? Gangs. Gangs of religious leaders put him there. And they even recruited one of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, to join in the fun to get Jesus on the cross. And then we have this gang-like mentality of the mob, the crowd, who's shouting to crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And guess who is on the cross? Guess, guess, guess. It's the innocent one. Jesus was the innocent one who was ambushed by sinners. He was ambushed. And there he's hanging there for our sins, our rebellion. But the good news is this. It's so awesome that rebellious sinners can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ by turning from these gangster, foolish, seeking unjust gainways, putting our faith in Christ, the innocent one. We can be forgiven and we can be clothed in his righteousness And the best part is, now that we have a relationship with God, which we do, we do not have to seek unjust gain because in Christ, we gain everything. We are clothed in his righteousness through faith. We have a face-to-face relationship with our Father. We are loved. We are guaranteed heaven forever. We have all gain in Christ. My brothers and sisters, if you realize you have all that you need in Jesus Christ, you will not push out and pursue dishonest gain because you have all gain in Christ. If you believe that, when the voices come to lure you in, you'll say, no, I got all I need in Jesus. This past week, the United States anti-doping agency released a staggering amount of information that leads one to believe that the cyclist, you may know him, Lance Armstrong, did indeed cheat to win a number of his cycling races. 
and it seems like in reviewing the information that the cheating was calculated, and it was really, really advanced beyond the years or the time when he was doing it. For example, like in, in 2002, it's even kind of creepy. In 2002, before the Tour de France happened in June, uh, Armstrong and one of his uh, guys on his team flew to, I think, Spain. And while they were there, they had some of their blood, not all of it, but some of their blood taken out. And then when the Tour de France happened in July, in a sophisticated way of, of, of cheating, there they were after one of the stages late at night, having that same blood put back in them. And the reason why the blood was put back in, it was to boost their, somehow boost their, their strength. And you see how all this is so calculated. But what strikes me the most about this scandal here, what strikes me the most is the peer pressure expected from the rest of the team members to dope. Like, this is, what, this is just what you got to do. And so here was this guy. He, 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 was, he was on the team. <clears throat> Lance called him to his apartment in Spain and basically said, hey, man, if you want to stay on the team, you need to follow this doping program. And I, I could not imagine training what seems like my whole life. I'm finally at the top of my game. I joined the best cycling team in the world. I'm ready for the Tour de France, and I show up. And like, yeah, that's not good enough. We need just a little bit more of an edge. We need just a little bit more of an advantage. You've got to dope with us. And to think that kind of offer is going to be made to most of us in here in some way, shape, or form to seek the advantage, to seek the edge, to join the group, to get ahead. And my brothers and sisters, you will be able to say no the more and more you understand that you have all that you need in Jesus. He is your complete gain. You need no more edge. You need no more advantage. You can walk away from the offer. You may be at your dream position. You say, no, no, I have all I need in Christ. And that, that's where we want to be. That's where we want to be. Where we say, I have all I need in Christ. For he's all I need. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for warning us about the potential situations out there. And as we are warned, may we not walk around in fear of what may happen to us. May we walk around more in fear of the Lord. And I, and, I, and, I, and I know in a crowd this size, there, there's somebody or several somebodies right now that are facing the offer right now. It's on the table, whatever it is, and it's to pursue unjust gain. And I'd ask you to give them the ability to say no, to walk away, to see they have all they have in Christ. And Lord, for the rest of us who maybe have been through it or will be through it soon, I just ask, Lord... That we would walk around in the fear of what may happen, but walk around in the fear of the Lord. And that you would show us we have everything we need in Christ. We have forgiveness. We have so much love. We have been clothed in righteousness. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We know the God of the universe. And Lord, if there is anyone here who does not know you, may you convict them this morning. And may they look to the innocent one who gave up everything, including his life, so that we would gain. I mean, they put their faith in you. In Christ's name, amen.